in high school, there was a time where uh, during a soccer game, we were playing uh, a game on a Friday of Lent. And because it was uh, in, in playoffs, um, there was, well, it was a championship game. So it was at the UL uh, uh, soccer field, and there was a, um, a Chick-fil-A truck that showed up. And the problem is, uh, you know, we were a Catholic school, and we were playing a Catholic school on a Friday of Lent. So uh, let's just be hypothetical here. Maybe a hypothetical situation. Maybe you were at this game. So how would that all play out in your mind? So, you know, maybe you, um, you first notice that it's Chick-fil-A and you're excited and then you get aggravated that you're Catholic because it's Friday and it's Lent. Maybe you uh, start to look around and maybe just see who else. Uh, maybe, maybe anyone that might, have, might be eating Chick-fil-A. Maybe you start to kind of like... You know, kind of talk it out, talk it out in your head or maybe with your, maybe your family members, you know, special occasion, you know, it's a championship game, maybe it's just once in a lifetime, so maybe it's celebratory, just this one time, maybe no big deal. Maybe I'll talk about the fact that, oh, how bad really could it be? You know, like how bad? It's like, you know, who really made up this whole Friday Lenten no meat thing anyway? And you just kind of talk it out. Maybe you notice over there somebody you know, they're starting to eat a Chick-fil-A sandwich. And you know what? I think they're Catholic. So maybe, uh, and that person too is eating it. So, uh, and you start to just kind of, you just, now you're just thinking about it. You're not even like paying attention to the soccer game because you just like, you just can't shake the fact that you're hungry and that you uh, didn't have time to eat dinner and now you're at the soccer game and the only thing the concession stand is selling is Chick-fil-A uh, sandwiches. So surely God's going to understand, Right. And, you know, that's just a fun hypothetical situation, so it doesn't really matter, um, you know, what the answer is there. But the, well, anyway, the point is um, that temptation is all the time, every day, right? Insert your temptation of choice. Like, we are tempted all the time. Um, and we don't really have to go searching for it. It just kind of comes our way. Like, uh, insert your sin here, there. Um, there's all kinds of temptations that we face, and it kind of gets tiring, honestly, if you think about it. It gets tiring to have to fight temptation all the time. And, and, and maybe uh, you, you get so tired and aggravated that you just, it's just easier if you just, like, justify it. And it's just like, you know, no big deal. And, it, and we just kind of give in quickly, don't even think about it, and we'll just justify it. Um, and it's easier if there's other people that are doing it, then you can just feel better about yourself. At least you're not, you know, at, as bad as them over there. And uh, because to, it's just hard, isn't it? The good news, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus conquered temptation. Not only did he conquer sin and death and suffering, he conquered temptation, which is good news for us. Because sometimes we can get a little discouraged and feel a little hopeless, but Jesus conquered it, not by the power of his divinity. Jesus conquered it in the frailty of his humanity on purpose to give us hope, to give us a way out, to show us that freedom is possible. So we have uh, the story of Jesus being tempted in the desert this Sunday, and it happens every uh, first Sunday of Lent every year. It happens in, um, it's written in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so uh, this year we have from the Gospel of Mark. Short and sweet, there's not a lot to it. It's very quick to the point as Mark typically is. But we know a little bit more about the story through the other two Gospel writings. But basically the gist is that as soon as Jesus comes onto the scene, that the very first moments of his public ministry, the first thing he does is he gets baptized. 
by John the Baptist. And right after his baptism, he's led by the Holy Spirit into the desert for 40 days. Uh, In a sense, he's reliving the experience of Israel who wandered in the desert for 40 years on their way to the promised land, and they were tempted in all kinds of ways, and they fell so many times and turned their back against God. Jesus relives this experience, but, but uh, fulfills it, renews it, recapitulates it. He stays faithful. In a sense, he also relives the experience of Adam and Eve. He had to make the same decision that they had to make. Adam and Eve were in the garden tempted by the serpent, who was Satan. Jesus was... Um, Well, and after Adam and Eve uh, sinned, they were cast out of the garden. Well, Jesus deliberately is cast out into the desert um, and faces uh, the same choice, whether or not to remain faithful to God, but but he, unlike Adam and Eve, stays faithful. All right. But how does he do it? How, how, How is Jesus tempted without sinning? Pope St. Gregory the Great points out for us there are three stages of temptation. I think that these, this is pretty helpful for us just to kind of distinguish because temptation is kind of broad. There's three stages that we can think about here. The first stage he brings up is su- suggestion. The suggestion is something that happens outside of us. It's something that we see or maybe that we hear or smell or... or I don't know, I guess taste, I don't know. But anyway, external senses. And um, that suggests to us a particular sin that we may or may not want to engage in. That's stage one. Stage two is delight. This is whenever it enters into your mind, you kind of start to negotiate, you know, whether or not you should enter into this sin. You start to delight in the idea of sinning. Maybe, you know, just the, even the thought of giving in just kind of brings some, some experiences of exhilaration. Um, and, and so, you know, and then it seeps into your heart and, and your desires are just like increasing for this particular sin. All right, so that's the second stage, delight. And the third stage is consent. That's whenever you just, you actually you throw in the towel, you give in. You engage the will to do the sinful action, whatever the sin might be. So uh, suggestion, delight, consent. Jesus was tempted with stage one, suggestion, right? The enemy uh, approaches him in the, in the desert and, um, and, and tries to tempt him with, with power, with pleasure and possessions, um, but Jesus does not let stage two and three happen. He doesn't even let the thought go into his mind. He doesn't negotiate with the devil. He doesn't delight in the idea of sinning. Jesus, like, it, it's just exterior, and as soon as it comes, Jesus immediately renounces the temptation. Uh, we often get in trouble with stage two, and the longer that we stay in stage two, the weaker and weaker we become, the more easy it is for us to consent, to give in to the temptation. Uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola, uh, I've mentioned before, um, you know, in his spiritual exercises, he, he does give advice for fighting temptation. And the first piece of advice he gives is to be firm in the beginning, which is getting back to the same point. Like as soon as possible, whenever the temptation comes up, if we're firm in the beginning, like don't even give it a thought. 
Don't delight in it. Don't negotiate with the devil. Don't try to justify it and do a pros and cons list because you're going to fall the longer that you give in to that tempta- uh, delight in that temptation. But that's how Jesus was so firm that he didn't even let stage two of temptation begin. That as soon as he, notice what happens. Of course, you can't really see in today's gospel, but if you go to the gospel of Luke or the gospel of Matthew and you read the same story, notice what happens. That as soon as he, as Satan proposes these temptations, Jesus responds with scripture. It's just amazing the power of our mind, like the power of our thoughts. Our thoughts have a huge influence over our desires. Our thoughts shape the way in which we long for things, which is a really good thing for us to think about. Like, what do you allow your thoughts to dwell on throughout your day? The majority of the, of the day, like, what are you thinking about? Because that probably gives you a clue about what you're desiring in life as well. I mean, think just even on a smaller level, like the, the more you think about Chick-fil-A, like the hungrier you are, you start craving it. All right, but even, you know, maybe, uh, you know, positive thinking. So uh, athletes who think about the state championship and winning the state championship, and they think about that all season long, that motivates them. That increases their desire to work hard and to persevere. Um, or maybe, maybe not so positive, uh, you know. People that scroll all the time, and you scroll on Facebook, or maybe it's Instagram, or some other social media, TikTok or something, and, and you're constantly looking at other people's lives that just seem to be more glamour, glamorous than yours, and you're constantly comparing yourself to everyone else. Okay, and now you're constantly thinking about what other people have that you don't have, and suddenly you have these thoughts of jealousy, insecurity, or vanity, Un- So you see, our thoughts really have a powerful influence over our desires. Imagine if you thought about Jesus all day, or better, if you thought about how much the Father loves you all day long. Might seem silly or odd or impossible, but isn't isn't that what it's all about? Like, this is what Jesus did so well. At every moment of his life, he was so keenly aware of the Father's love for him. He was thinking about it. He knew it. He owned it. And because he was thinking about that, his desire above anything else in his lived experience was to do the Father's will. There was nothing that could compete with it. So that when he is fasting 40 days and 40 nights, deeply hungry, Satan comes and tempts him and he's got nothing on Jesus because Jesus is constantly thinking about the Father's love for him. And his desire for the Father is so much greater than anything artificial and superficial that, this, that Satan would offer. It's just not even a thought. Get behind me, Satan. The power of our thoughts is really important and it's really influential. Hence how we can really say that like the whole Christian journey and, and really what conversion is all about is an ongoing renewal of the mind that we are constantly purifying our mind through a, a lifelong effort. And this strengthens us in temptation. So um, I, I really want to invite everyone. Um, I think we might have run out of bulletins, or there's just like just a few left. But um, what, what we had uh, for you in the bulletins inside was an insert with the examination of conscience in it. 
Uh, but we also have a stack of those. We're outside the confessional. Um, there's also a ton of those online. So, uh, so that's my invitation is read through an examination of conscience. A lot of times we just neglect. It's just easier to like not even think about our sins, right? Like just convince ourselves that we're doing generally fine. But read through the examination of conscience and notice how it stirs your heart. Notice how it, it kind of kind of challenges us. Read through it, but also in addition to that, think about the Father's love for you. Like just think about it. It's there. You don't have to go searching for it. The Father is so abundantly good, and He loves you. And as you think about both your sins and the Father's love for you, notice how your desire for confession will increase. And your, your fear of being judged by the priest and, and your anxiety of getting into that confessional, all of those desires might lessen a little bit if you think about the right things. Think about the Father's love for you and also your sins. That's my invitation uh, for us. Uh, you know, now is just a really good time for that. We're starting Lent. How awesome would it be if you went to confession at least once this Lenten season? But when you go to confession, you know, I know it takes for some people so much courage just to even walk in there. But what if before you, you fought that battle, what if you read through the examination of conscience and really gave it some thought? That way you're prepared whenever you enter. Christ conquered sin, suffering, and death, but he also conquered temptation. And he did that to give us hope that we too can be purified in our mind and in our hearts. We can be firm in the beginning so that stage one of temptation comes and we don't even give stage two and three a thought. We can be strengthened. Freedom is possible, even for you. Amen.